I think high schools should be run more like businesses. Students should be able to earn certain things for, you know, and call it money and then be able to put it into the school bank and then add that. And they would know what interest is going because good things happen when your interest grows and you do good things and you get not physically paid, but in school dollars. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Net Up podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. Today we have on former Ram and Purdue great Jim Everett. And in this episode, we, of course, have to start off with some football and we, you know, kind of romanticize the fact that he played in Indiana, which is where I'm from, uh, and he went to Purdue University. But then we get into all sorts of, you know, unique things. Jim was raised by educators. And so that was kind of a unique perspective on what it was uh, like to be a student athlete. Um, we also get into a little bit of esports and some future stuff. So I really thoroughly love this conversation. One, because uh, I was just a fan, because I'm a Purdue uh, fan. And second, because um, he's made quite a few interesting tweets about, at times, education, uh, economics. He's big on financial planning. So he and I are birds of a feather. And I've just gotten to know him um, uh, over the last six months or so. And so I really wanted to have him on the show. So this one is going to be quite interesting. If you have a son or a daughter that is an athlete or you're a parent or teacher who just wants to hear from a really well-balanced guy between sports and academics, this is the episode for you. And yes, if you're wondering, uh, Jim does bring up the Jim Rome incident. It's kind of funny. You should stay tuned for that. So let's get right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Everett. All right, I'm excited now to have Jim Everett, former, I'm going to go with Purdue first because I'm an Indiana guy, Jim, but uh, former Purdue and uh, Ram quarterback. Jim, thanks for being on. Hey, Don, thanks for having me. It's always good to, you know, talk to, you know, a Hoosier, you know, just bring it right down to earth. Uh, I'm not going to, actually, I had on Rick Fox earlier and about, it wasn't planned, but we ended up having maybe the first 10 minutes of the show talking about Indiana basketball. Um, but yeah. Hoosier State, love it. Um, and actually, I, I kind of knew this, but you know, doing my due diligence and doing a little bit of research and being a guy that's somewhat tormented by Purdue football, you were the only bowling maker to run the table on Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, and who else? Dang Those it. were three of my junior year for sure. Yeah, that was that was a that was one heck of a season. Well, let me kick yeah. it off. So one of the things that I've gotten to, you know, in in seeing, I've been keeping up with you. We've been kind of tied, you know, going back and forth a little bit on Twitter. Uh, one, you're you're a product of of educators. Um, how did that prepare you in athletics, being raised by educators? Well. Just to give a little background, my, my dad's a professor, or was a professor, he's since retired. Um, he was at the University of New Mexico. They helped start the uh, special ed department over there. They were a bunch of Kansas guys that started that department in, in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And it was it was fabulous. My mom was, of course, was, uh, she got her master's degree. It was also in special education. Um, and then also, my sister got her master's degree. So for the longest time, especially even while I was playing football, I was the least educated in my family, and they they probably told me so. So <laughs> I think what I'm what I'm leading up to is the fact that because you have family members that are you know academic minded, um, they they tend to you know value those things, and so when you have parents that 
or educators, um, you don't bring home C, maybe a B if you have an off sub, but they're expecting A's across the board. And so that's kind of was our expectation. So I think it's kind of like living in a family that said, you know, you're expected to have an A. So high expectations. Um, and, you know, I think that, that, that helped. Um, I think everyone's born a little different and this and that, different IQs and this and that. But I felt at least I was, you know, a little bit, you know, on the plus side there and I, I got to do it and, you know, we got to be academic all day 10 and all those, those, those types of things, but it took a lot of work and don't think that it, it just comes easy. I mean, kids, if you're listening to this right now, every day takes a lot of effort. It really does. And, it, and it's most, you, the amount that you put in is what you get out of it. And if you're expecting to just put a little into it, then you're probably expecting to see maybe, maybe less. You don't show up, but yeah. show up every day have high expectations and work your ass off and, and it, things pay off. And that's kind of, kind of the drill that my parents always, you know, you know, half the thing is just showing up. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I, I too, well, it's funny. I, I tell people I was raised by educators. My dad was, my mom's a stay at home mom, but that made her an educator. And then same thing. My sister, um, also a teacher, uh, was a, a deaf education teacher. And, uh, it was kind of hilarious because my first degree, well, I had promised myself the last thing I'd do is become a teacher because everybody else in my family was. Um, and, 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 and going through high school and stuff, it was doubly hard because one, everybody knew my dad was a teacher and they, and secondly, my sister was older than me by about three years. And so when I'd walk into a classroom, they're like, Oh, you're Kathy's little brother. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, please don't expect Kathy because Kathy really good student. Um, I, Less so. Um, up until my junior year, that was a long story. But yeah, I, I finally grew up. But it, it was being yeah. like a preacher's kid. You know, it, like, yeah. if you got to be, what's, what's wrong? Um, and ironically enough, the, the teacher in the bunch, my dad was the one that was kind of understanding. My mom and dad did a masterful job of good cop, bad cop. And, you know, every time then I'd bring home a C. And, um, you know, my dad's like, did you try as hard as you could, Donnie? I'm like, I did, dad. And my mom would be right there behind him going, no, he didn't, <laughs> and demanding more. So. <laughs> she goes, I'm here at home and I've seen him and no, he didn't. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was on, uh, but thank God for that. No, so I, I and the other thing that kind of struck me is is that you didn't necessarily go the the traditional route of my dad's a teacher, but he wasn't the coach. You weren't the coach's son, right? Well, I think I think the whole thing built into this now is, is expectations, and I don't think that's you know just for anything in life. You know, if you expect to succeed, then you'll have you'll have more chances to succeed. If you expect to fail. Well, there you go. Well, I'm so glad you said that because, and I'm not ripping on either, but you played then for two programs that the expectations weren't as high. And again, I really love Purdue and the Rams at the time, same thing. Like they were middle of the road and you took them to different areas. One, A, congratulations, but like, was that like, and I, I'm sure some of that was great coaching, um, but what made you set that bar a little bit higher of, you know, Purdue, we always get beat by Michigan. We always get beat by Ohio State. Where did you set that? Well, let's put it this way. Let's go back to the Purdue thing first. You know, as far as Purdue is known for not only you know, good academics, but they're known for astronauts and quarterbacks. 
so picking Purdue wasn't wasn't that hard. It was either Stanford or Purdue for myself. And uh, you know, looking at the whole thing, I just felt comfortable. And it, kudos to the to the campus and the people there. But to me, at the time, rather than going to California, which I ended up at, to be in Indiana was was just you know felt home home to me. And so Purdue is you know, felt like a good place to be. I knew they were going to, Coach Jim Young there was going to throw the ball. They were going to, you know, the quarterback was going to be an important position, even though I had to earn the job. I mean, it was it was tough trying to beat Scotty Campbell out. And I know you don't, Scott Campbell's not a household name, but he played the NFL for eight years and was pretty darn good. Um, so, you know, as, as far as all that goes, you know, having the expectations about going there and, and, and trying to win, um, we you know, look, look at today's, I think Coach Brom's doing a good job. Jimmy Harbaugh is doing a good job recruiting, but Harbaugh from Michigan, you know, lands a bunch more five-star athletes than, you know, the Ohio State, the Michigan. I mean, so you can't really go toe-to-toe, and that's where Coach Brom's coming in with some of his strategies and some of the things that you have to do to, to be successful against, you know, bigger guys. And so uh, I think that's perfect. I think that Purdue, for the past 15 years for Brom, they weren't doing that. They weren't trying to out-manipulate the game. They were trying to go toe-to-toe and just get crushed. And so that's what I saw from Purdue. I saw something that would – I mean, when I went to the NFL, Don, my, the offense for the Rams was easier than the offense from Purdue. So it was uh, – you know, it was just about making the athletes were so much better. It was about making the, the throws in there. But, you know, the, the edu- football education was just as premier at Purdue as my academic. Yeah, yeah, I I, I totally agree. And that, that cradle of quarterbacks, legend, you know, the status they've always had was there. Um, but it what you guys did was, uh, was, was pretty awesome. The other thing that I, I've seen you um, – kind of talk about, and we were kind of alluding to it on some of the big programs, the, the day and age where, and, and again, if, if my bias uh, comes out, the, um, the, the recruit that they have the cameras on them and they have three baseball hats on the, on the desk. And um, yeah. it just strikes me as like, wait, wait, wait a second here. Like a college is about ready to give you a scholarship that could be valued at, you know, at least a hundred thousand dollars. And, and you're the one saying maybe you're iffy and like kind of thing. So I'm, I'm really, really, really jading this. And, and I know they bring in big money. Um, but is the, is the AAU year round athlete being coddled uh, a bit too much uh, for college athletics or is it justified and warranted because of the money they're bringing in? Um, I'm, I'm sure we could do go through the whole gamut of thoughts of what the modern day athletes are doing. I mean, I see kids now getting private coaching at age 12, and I've been approached many times to coach these quarterbacks or key to it. So parents, parents are in it. Our society is promoting it. Um, the NFL now is a multi-billion-dollar league. TVs is paying multiple, you know, billions of dollars to watch it. So. You know, and colleges now have their own networks, uh, TV networks. I mean, look, the, the Big Ten, you know, picks up New York-based teams for TV contract exposure as well as, you know. So this is big business. So I'm going to say, because I played, you know, at Purdue in the 80s and played in the 90s in the pros, and um, 
it's grown. And so should our expectations going back to that. You know, I, I think that colleges are making millions of dollars off of sports. And I know, you know, they equal scholarships for girls and, but it's the budgets are unbelievable. So I think the question is, should these players now be making money besides just the academic thing? Because you look at the scale of the TV revenue, it's increased a lot more than say the value of a scholarship. But, you know, where does the university put that money? They put it in buildings, they put it in other sports, they put it in building their campus. I know Peru's done that quite a bit. And that was one of the things that we talked about with the board of trustees is, hey, we're bringing in all this money, but the program's not saying it. I think that's changed recently. And I think that that continues to be the focus. But I think the other moral thing is these are amateur athletes in everybody's mind. Should they be making a couple hundred dollars here and there? You know, some of the programs that are kind of, you know, iffy programs, they say, you know, alumni can give them the money or this, they get around the rules. But I remember going to college, um, we didn't have hardly any money. And if there was a way that we could, you know, raise a hundred bucks or 200 bucks just to have something in our pocket, that would be great. I mean, I came from a middle class family, but we also had teammates that came from lower class. Now, is that fair for someone from Florida to come all the way up to Indiana and not have any money, you know, except for, so, I mean, in a a day like today, I I don't know. I don't know where you draw the line. You know, the the tough part is you get the Michigan, Ohio States, they're making a ton of money. And then you try to pit those against some of the smaller schools that aren't making much money. You know, how do you say, hey, I'm going to go to Michigan so I can make 1500 a month or whatever it might be. I don't want to go to Butler and make, you know, $25 a week. So you start getting those discrepancies. Well, I mean, I I think that that's in some ways uh, it could turn out to be where you almost have like farm teams in a way. Because, yeah, I mean, if you play for Toledo or Akron, um, that's awesome. And I don't think that people are expecting you to necessarily go pro, but yeah, if you're playing for Ohio state, you know, Florida state, those kind of programs you might, but I, I, I do sense this. Um, it's awkward in the sense that like, Hey, they're making so much money. It's unfair, but that whole, where do you draw the line is tough. Um, because it is tough. it's, it's a moral battle on the whole, the whole deal. 20 years ago, probably not so much. But now with the million dollars of TV and the pressure and the, the different, now they even have a playoff for college and the whole, you know, you know, basically Super Bowl of college. You know, you're asking an athlete to play 13 games and, you know, do a bunch of different things and then, you know, penalize them right during finals. Um, so I don't know. You've got that student athlete or the athlete students. Which one is it? Yeah, well, and, and, you know, you all of a sudden have a break it down of, well, you know, you didn't start for the offensive line, and maybe you shouldn't get as much as the guy that, you know, ran it back for a touchdown. It's, it's, it's tough. <laughs> the, the, other, the other thing I've seen, though, and it's kind of funny, and I really wanted to ask you this because you're a football guy, um, and you mentioned Big Ten Network, ironically enough. <clears throat> the Big Ten Network now has a decent amount of broadcasting for esports. And I've seen a lot of articles saying that esports as an entity uh, will be bigger than the NFL by as early as next year. Um, one, you know, and 
possibly is because people are starting to re-question, you know, especially on the concussion side, football. But do you see esports as um, like a serious threat to the NFL? Because when they say esports, maybe better than NFL. That's like every video game, like possible. That's not necessarily a league. But uh, do you see esports as a threat to the NFL? Well, I mean, every 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 business model is going to have strengths weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. I mean, um, so yeah, could that be, could that be a threat? I mean, you take the owner of the Los Angeles Rams, Dan Kroenke, and he owns an overwatch league team. So is he looking at that as a threat to the NFL? Maybe so, but he actually bought himself a team. And I don't know if you I've seen all the stuff on Overwatch, but it's pretty big out here, and they actually have the. <laughs> you beat the me to my next question, about- damn it! <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, so, oh, hey, sorry. No, you're no, you're you're right. I was like, yeah, he does, and in matter like Rick Fox um, owns a franchise of, well, actually more than just Overwatch, and yeah, I mean, like I, I look at the NBA leagues, like every NBA team now now has an esports team in tandem, which is uh-huh. crazy. And and so yeah, you, you're <laughs> darn it. I, I did that little bit of research, and you, yes, you're right. Uh, but I, I saw that as you're right. Like either they're hedging their bets, or they're going to be a yes and scenario. Um, because yeah, I, I mean, but I think it's it's a combo. I mean, it's competition at a different level for a different mind for maybe a different target audience. Um, I, I know even you know on Twitter, if I make comments about Overwatch, people are like what. <laughs> but if I make comments about NFL, they're like, okay, we understand that one. So, I mean, it's a whole different, I don't think it's the same crowd, number one. And I think it's maybe different when it comes to the ages of people that are following it. Um, maybe more millennials than it would be. I know, just take, for example, the in our county over here, the, the, the amount of football players is on the you know, decreasing side. Is that because parents don't want their kids to get hit or play? Even flag football is down a little bit. Or is that just maybe some of the mentality of the kids are a little bit more in tune with, um, you know, playing their favorite game on Xbox? I don't yeah. know. But that's, you know, the, they, we need a bunch of drone drivers out there, too. I mean, I think that's where the world's going. Well, and I think there's some interesting overlap because as you were saying that, like, well, heck, I, I remember, and I, I could be wrong, but I, like, I remember Bill Simmons being the first writer to be a serious sports guy, but then make references to Top Gun or the WWF or to Duran Duran. And all of a sudden, the more like the, the NFL football guy wasn't necessarily 45 year old, uh, you know, beer drinking guy. He knew, you know, pop culture and subtleties. I think the same thing is kind of what you're saying is I think the new age NFL fan also does play a lot of Madden. And they do appreciate yeah. sports. Yeah, and you know the great thing about it is now Marcus Peter just put on a new dance for you know the Madden, you know where he, where he goes <laughs> to the end zone backwards, grabbing his crotch. I mean, I think that you know, I guarantee Madden that'll be on Madden next year. Oh well, in case in point, like, to your point, like I, I just how many touchdown dances this year have been Fortnite dances? Eighty <laughs> percent. Why do our kids do that all the time? I mean, my my daughter plays volleyball, and you know they do stuff, and you know next thing you know they're breaking up Fortnite again. Yeah. So it's 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 popular. It's in. It's part of the culture, and I think that's what football is ingrained too. Is it? Is it? Are they going back to your point? Are they competition? 
maybe in a way. Are they complementary? Maybe in a way. Yeah. They overlap. Yeah. So I think I think the smart minds, and that's like investing, is that maybe you don't put all your money in stocks. You don't put all your money in bonds. But you can do a little bit of both. Yeah. No, I I, I like that point. <laughs> I'm literally now starting to play touchdown dances in my head, going, okay, that was a Fortnite dance. That was a Fortnite dance. Um, but yeah, the, the, the cross crab the other day from the Rams receiver, that was... Hey, John, I think, I think the real question is, do you know how to Fortnite dance? Um, <clears throat> my son has critiqued me. I, I tried to mimic it. And, uh, I don't have... Yeah, I'll just say that I was a catcher uh, as, as a youth and my knees don't appreciate the Fortnite dancing as much, or at least the one that goes from side to side and you make an L on your forehead. But so, you know, so, so to answer your question, I tr- I've tried and it didn't, it didn't go well. It didn't go well. Okay. Well, yeah. okay. God bless you for trying. Yeah. 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 It was, it was the old college try. Um, <laughs> the other, the other thing, like one of the first reasons I reached out to you on Twitter is that you had some interesting opinions on, uh, financial planning and our youth and that you made some comments that, you know, do they teach money skills in school? And that's when I reached out to you and we kind of had a back and forth that you're, you're raised by teachers and everything else. I have to bring this up. First of all, did you see, um, HBO's hard knocks? I think it was Carl Nassib, Carl Nassib. And he was talking to a bunch of rookies and football players on the Browns. And he was saying, okay, there's this thing called compounding interest. And if you guys put just $100,000, which wasn't even your signing bonus, it could be worth this much in eight years. And they thought he was either magic or telling lies. And that thought mm-hmm. like, got me thinking, like, well, why weren't they prepared? Like, why wouldn't they know what compound interest is? So in, in, I, I know that you, you, after, you know, after football, this was kind of your jam. Talk to me on the importance of having this knowledge of, of being able to financial plan and are athletes of today prepared for this? Well, let's, let's say this in general, and I won't even classify it as athletes. I think in general, we're not prepared as individuals for, you know, planning our assets and planning our retirement and planning for the future. Um, you think about a bunch of the different things we talk about every generation, you know, the now generation, uh, you know, I'll just do a lease rather than buy. What's the pluses? What's the minuses? You know, I was in asset management business for almost 15 years and had a nice small boutique company. Um, but I would say overall, as a society in general, and I go back to my parents and we'll have this discussion, I think high schools should be run more like businesses in, in a sense that students should be able to, you know, earn certain things for, you know, and call it money and then be able to put it into the school bank and then add that. And they would know what interest is going because good things happen when your interest grows and you do good things and you get not physically paid, but in school dollars so that people understand. I mean, we spend so much time on English. We spend so much time on math, but as far as applying it in real world, like credit cards, or bank statements, or these things. We don't prepare our entire population for that. So I worked with a group of doctors. I would probably put them in the athletes. They're so focused on what they do, either their surgeries or their profession, or knowing the neuromuscular thing that they're not worried about. You know, they know they have to pay off their $250,000 education loans. 
But once they get past that, they're like, well, I just buy land or I just buy this, right? They don't have that. And, and until we get down to making that a fundamental part of our high schools, I don't think we ever get it. It's so funny you say that, Jim. I, the, I, we've talked briefly, but the class I have is called Innovation and Open Source Learning. And the first seven or so weeks, we teach our students how to think for themselves. We teach them how to you know, refocus problems, listen to problems. Our, our, our classic line here is we want to create seekers and peakers, not moaners and groaners. You know, opportunity seekers. Nice. I like that. Oh, thank you. Um, the oppor- I lo- like, it's true, though. Like, opportunity seekers become a group. Successful people normally congregate around successful people, and then you become a peeker. Like you can peek around the corner because the collectively your group of people that have a certain knowledge base, you know what's coming, and I, and that's the kind of kids that I want to foster. Which is all kids, by the way, and you can foster sure. that. The moaners and groaners are everybody else. I swear to God, I, I can't. It's ironic that we connected on Twitter because I'm phasing out because I can't. Everything is so everything sucks and everything's political and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, then what are you doing? And, and that's one of the things that we talked about in class. Like, look, I, all of my students are required to have a LinkedIn account, mostly because at age 16, most like, people on LinkedIn aren't 16. So I said, if you start showcasing what you do, people are going to be astounded. And then along the lines of what you just said, I'm, I'm going to play this clip for them in class tomorrow, is that um, one of the things that like, Later on in the school year, we, with our knowledge base and some of the things we've done, we try to help, like help very small business or very small nonprofits out. We kind of think that, you know, ask them a series of questions and have some empathy and like try to research and, and do some things. So this year they came to me and they said, Wetrick, how about we become our own class company for about a month or so before we help facilitate another business? you know, cut our chops on some of the things that we did. I'm like, awesome. Like, what, you know, what kind of business do you want to do? And they said, well, you know, opportunities are everywhere kind of thing. Let's, let's list some problems that we might be able to solve either by a, um, a, an event or a package or a, or a product. And I'm like, okay. And so each period is the, like my, like, um, and I'm not going to say favorites, but like just a case, one of them was said, um, we're uh, teens are too socially isolated and they, and they, they assume that their friends are friends. And so they're wanting to like do events that uh, they loosely called bond fires where they have a series of bonfires all over town. And then they have um, basically ways of communicating and strengthening relationships. And the other one, and this is one I know that you're gonna love. They said students don't have, and I actually hate the term soft skills because it makes them sound like they're less than, but they said we wanted to have like an event or a simulation on picking up 20 soft skills because they saw it as a deficit that maybe they could train the average 15 to 18 year old how to look somebody in the eye and shake their hands and not be on your phone, how to call somebody by their name, how to show up on time consistently. And they want to do that as a package. And I'm like, Okay, you guys are going to make money. <laughs> so, hopefully, oh, coming. They, they hit the nail on the head. On the, you know, I, I, I coach, I've been coaching fifth through eighth grade like football for years from here. But you, you, over the time, you see difference in, you know, what the skills are. And the skill sets with these kids now is to be able to text faster than anything I've ever seen. They're able, their social skills are quick. But but their interpersonal skills, when you have to develop, shake hands, be proud, all these things, aren't being developed as much as, or being rewarded 
as much. Uh, one of the good things I like about a little private school I, my, my daughter goes to is that they have to do all these social events. They have to do all the, they, they push them, push them, push them to, to make sure that they're not only academic, but they're, but they're socially, um, they have to dance, they have to be in plays, they have to, they've got to expand the horizon. And that's the thing that I see even when I go back to my MBA program, I kind of judge their, I'm, I'm part of the board, and the, the groups will be giving a demonstration on AT&T or whatever, and I'm on the AT&T board. I want to go back to Pepperdine for this thing. And even the skills at some of those levels aren't as polished as they should be. I mean, so, I mean, I think those types of things that your kid's talking about is forcing those soft skills is, you know, very important. I mean, it is when you're job interviewing. It, it is when you are running a business and you have to be, you know, in front of representing your business. You don't want to be this meek person texting with the back facing towards all these people. When the important thing is being able to look at the guy, be able to read the person, be able to shake their hand, be able to represent your company. Yeah. Well, and then especially then if you have that and then you have some sort of a mission that matters. Uh, you know, they said, you know, if we do that, like, because if they put this course, I think they want to do as an online course. I'm like, just the fact that you guys are high school students wanting to do this for other middle school and high school students, that sets you apart. Um, and then mm-hmm. again, why I'm so crazy in love with social media for good. You know, s- some teacher in Indiana is got a hold of a pro quarterback. Right. That's that's cool. Right. But I'm also showing them that. Well, heck, heck, bring it back to full circle on the esports. We were uh, talking about uh, how crazy it is that people like Ninja are making around a million dollars a month streaming, playing Fortnite. And we were talking about Ninja. And I said, well, yeah, we should talk to him. And they're like, well, it's not that easy. And I said, well, you can always try. I said, let's reach out to him. And I'll be darned, 15 minutes later, Ninja called into the classroom and it went nuts. Uh, the video, oh, wow. of, yeah, cool. the video of us yeah. reacting to his first message it had three hundred thousand views before we left school, because that guy is a uh, oh, it, and yeah, but, yeah. But that's oh, also yeah. when the students are like, okay, this isn't this this isn't a joke. Like, represent yourself online in a professional way, and people will think, wow, you're seventeen and you're professional. Uh, what a huge advantage! Uh, and and, and, I, and I, I will say that to any parent, like, get your child on in a professional way on social media and they'll just stand out because if they are, if they're working on a mission that matters and they're not doing duck face selfies and F this and F that, uh, advantage them. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, uh, I, I think that's so important. Well, well Jim, I, I think okay. the thing that, that done real quick, that separates you. And I just want to hit on this point is that it's easy to criticize that easy street. It's easy to look at somebody and say, that's dumb. That's stupid. That's whatever. Or you make a, a judgment on that. My dad had a rule, and he, he was a pretty smart guy. I look up to him this day, and he's, he's got really, really good stuff. He says, listen, if you're going to bring one problem, if you're going to make a comment about something in a negative way, I want you to have three answers for how it needs to be different. If you don't have those three answers, hold it until you can criticize it. But if you're going to come and criticize something or want something to change, give me three answers. So like you're doing with your kids, is you're making them proactive. Like there's a problem, let's find, let's find those three ways to make a difference. Let's, let's, let's think outside that box that you're forcing those kids to do it. And that's where things change. Wow. You know? 
No, I, I had a student two years ago and uh, he was pretty opinionated on things, uh, but he had a, a little podcast called Solutions Matter because he kept hearing about all the things that were wrong in society. And he's like, great, give me your solutions. And he was calling on some, I will say, angry thought leaders that kept stirring the pot on all the things that were wrong. And he's like, come on my show and talk to me about a solution. Crickets. I mean, because that right. is the hard part. That is the really hard. And that's the thing that drives me nuts about uh, in some, like oh. I hear I'm telling you how much I love social media, but the dark side is, is like everything sucks. Okay. Well, well that, that there's some people out there and there's some entities out there that want to just do anything for attention, even if it's negative. And sometimes you have to tune those things out because you know that attention is just negative. That's, that's what they are. That's what they're, I mean, they'll all go back to, you know, there's different reporters out there, even maybe ones that I've thrown around that just wanted to be negative about stuff. I wasn't going to go like, there. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's like, but that's, that's what, and, and, I, and I'll encourage your kids is that when you are around one of these, you know, negative valleys, turn them off, go do something else. Go there. There's too many things in life. You know, the gossip, the, the negative valleys in the world. And hopefully there's too many, there's too many good things. It's sun shining outside. Go enjoy that. Bask in that. Don't be in the shadows because it's not where life's at. That's not where the good things happen. That's a heck of a point to end on. No, I agree. Jim, I, I appreciate you uh, making time for this and uh, appreciate the, all the things you're doing and, and your body of work. I, although I guess one last thing, um, your prediction on the Rams this year? Oh, hey, they're, they're pretty darn good. I'll tell you, we got to stay healthy. But I really like watching them. You know, it's, it's kind of, for us Rams fans and us guys that used to keep playing for the Rams, you know, I mean, there's, there's times when we've been underdogs, and it's, it's kind of nice to be, you know, be at the front run or front runner. But let me tell you about Sean McVay, just real quickly, the head coach. We talked about my experience at Purdue and, you know, trying to be, you know, manipulate the Michigans, Ohio State's. Now here's a guy, McVay, who's master manipulator on the field, a chess player, knows the X's and O's, but he also has the talent. And when you match those two things together, those things create dynasties. And if they can keep them together, um, you know, it's the right guy, the right time, with the right players. And I, why not the Rams for the Super Bowl? I saw a video clip of him. They were saying they were giving him random plays at random games, and he knew exactly what game and what, what play it was. It was frightening. They're like, Off okay. The dark, right? Yeah, they're like, okay, score is 21 to 7. Uh, third quarter, uh, you, it's a third and seven on, and there's this quarter. He's like, yeah, uh, sweep right. And uh, we ran the ball for seven yards. <laughs> like, oh, my God. And Don, there's no off switch with this man. Now, I don't. I don't know how he has one of the hottest chicks ever as a girlfriend, how he has time for that, whatever he is. He's multi-talented, I guess, in every, every facet. But I'm telling you, there's no off switch. He'll work sun up, sun down. I mean, the, the guy's just, he's, you know, a power ranger. I mean, he's, he's unbelievable. And it's it's kind of nice to see it. And it, and you see the guys that are, you know, older professionals get energized by his, by his spark. So I guess I'd want to say that if, if you can be that type of guy and you're into what you're into, I don't care if it's Fortnite, I don't care if it's, you know, whatever it might be, um, but you add that spark to those people around you, you ignite stuff. Yeah. Wow. 
<laughs> inspirational for sure. I've never, I've never seen anything like that. Well, Jim, again, thanks for being on. Uh, it, it's continued success, and uh, I'm hopefully maybe someday we'll we'll connect again. Sounds good, Don. 